For Podcast Radio, I'm Gene Baxter. And in about 30 seconds, we'll have John Holmes on the phone. We've been listening to him, watching him, laughing along with him for about 25 years now. And he's got the hardware to show it, too. He's won nine Radio Academy Awards, two British Comedy Awards, and two BAFTAs, among others. He's a comedian, a best-selling author, a presenter, and for many years now, one of the premier podcasters in the business. His two most recent programs are must-listens, and we'll talk to him about the skewer and cold case crime cuts. Hello. Is this my new friend, John Holmes? It certainly is. How are you? I'm great. John, it's so great to have you on. I'm so, uh, I'm a, a, I'm a, a fan, sincerely, and B, I'm just so in awe as a guy who's been in radio as long as you've been alive, practically. I can't believe how many jobs you've had. I'm just, for a man in his 40s, I can't think of anyone that I know of in audio who's had as many different gigs as you have. Yeah, I think that's because uh, I keep getting fired. <laughs> so I have to- Yes. You, know, you have to spin all those plates, Gene, don't you? That's you, One smashes to pieces, pick up the next one, see what happens. <laughs> that's the gist of it. You know, I, I remember when I when I first got into radio as a teenager and my father never trusted anything in the entertainment industry, probably wisely. It's not easy to make a go of it. When I got fired from a job, he was like, oh, my God, in his mind, that was it. I was ruined. I'd never work again. But for whatever reason, in our industry, it's not looked at as a, a huge negative. People can almost always overcome being fired. And sometimes it, it, it's helpful for their careers. It is. Yeah, it obviously depends on the circumstances. But I think that the first spectacular firing I got, there was a, there was a sort of a national news story, <laughs> you know, could have gone either way, couldn't it at the time? But actually, yeah, it, I ended up getting a different, you know, a TV gig out of it because the you know, the controller of a network had read about it in the paper and decided that actually I might work on something he was developing. So yeah, it's it's a very odd industry. I've talked about this before. And, and it's the only industry I think where even alongside similar industries. So if you win an award in the radio industry, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever to either your money or offers, right? But if you win, say an Oscar, I mean, literally, you know, it changes your life overnight. Yeah, you write your own ticket from then on in, right? Exactly. But our industry just goes us, so no difference at all. Well, and and one of the things that I'm sure, I'm sure this is what has made it so gratifying for you to be so successful in other media, in podcasting, and working for television, and writing and books, that sort of thing, is there's that fine line we all have to walk on the radio where we're being hired because we're creative and edgy in some cases. But we can't go 1% too far without all of a sudden management saying, this person is awful. I, ne I, I never should have hired them. They're the worst. I don't think the, the men in the back office have any idea what that split second is like behind a mic where you have an idea for something funny. And it, it's not always completely obvious how it's going to be interpreted on the other side of the radio. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what happened in my that firing I was talking about, the spectacular one, was it was even worse in a way because the, the management knew what I was doing, encouraged what I was doing, told me to carry on doing it and thought it was great until, of course, there was a complaint and it went wrong. And then they just disowned all knowledge of it ever happening. And I was like, but you told me to you, you told me to do this. And they were like, no. <laughs> Big learning curve that was early in my career, I can tell you. Like so many of us behind the mic, you grew up falling in love with the medium of radio. And I'm just wondering now here in the 21st century, when you have your fingers in all these other pies, especially podcasting, does that scratch the same itch or is there still something extra special for you when you're actually live on a radio station? That is that is the best 
job, I think. I mean, I, I there's a lot to be said for putting radio together and spending a lot of time mixing and mastering and, and editing and all of those things to create something you're working on. But you cannot beat the thrill of that fader that you know will take you live. So I think the, fav my, the favorite job, the best job I ever had was breakfast, a breakfast show on XFM here. And I, was, I did that for sort of three years and I absolutely loved it. I mean, even the getting up early, you know, I was, I was a lot of breakfast presenters to go, oh God, I hate the getting up part. I didn't, I was kind of fine with it. And, and I, because I was looking forward to just doing ideas that we thought of and or things that just cropped up live that you would never be able to emulate, you know, and, and you don't get, that were really silly things. You know, for, I'll give you an example. We, we were doing a, a commercial radio promotion for something. It might have been tickets to give away to see a band. And they had a song called Distant Past, right? And we very quickly invented a game called Distant Pasta. And the idea was, which shape pasta, when cooked, could you hit furthest with a tennis racket? <laughs> <laughs> and you, where else can you do that? you know, that fast. You can't. And that's the joy of radio, isn't it? That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, uh, not that this is about me, but since we're talking, I hosted a breakfast show, John, for 30 years in Los Angeles. Whoa. And uh, when I think back to it, I don't think about the fame, as much fame as you can get in radio or the money and all of that. What I think about is the chemistry with my coworkers that is irreplaceable and something that I will always miss. Every day you go in and you work with those same people and you all meld into one giant brain and you all have the same sense of humor and the same things crack you up and it just becomes addictive. You just, and that's what you miss. It's when I left that job, even though I left of my own volition, I really did feel like I'd been through a divorce yeah. and that I would never see my wife again. And it's uh, it's amazing what those days in a morning radio studio can feel like and how impactful they can be for you. Well, it is. And, and also that connection with listeners who all feel part of the gang. Well, you want them to feel part of the gang. That's the point, isn't it? And and the interaction you get with them and, and what you build up. Absolutely. And they know the in-jokes and they, they you know, they, they, they compliment the show so much yeah. and just feel like part of that extended production team, really. And that, and that I, I so miss that, you know, obviously I, I a lot of them still, you know, follow me on, on Twitter or whatever. So they're all still out there. And, and then, you know, they will often pop up with a, a, a something we did, you know, even a little rubbish joke from all those years ago, um, which will take me straight back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's remarkable. It's remarkable the things that they remember, that they come up to you and talk about. It really yeah. is. Uh, since you mentioned your Twitter, I, I wanted to ask, because this is a story I don't know. You really did interview a cat. I mean, that's something that you <laughs> you put in the avatar of your Twitter feed. And I thought, well, that must have been a big moment for John. What happened? Well, do you know what? It was, it was, that was for a Radio 4 show that I used to do called The Now Show. So it was on stage in front of an audience of about, I think it was in the radio, BBC Radio Theatre in London, about 350 people. Um, I'd had this idea and it was around the time of a World Cup when, do you remember there was an octopus that was trying to predict the results of the World Cup? Sure. Or the results of the matches. Well, we hadn't gotten the budget for an octopus and neither would health and safety allow it, it turned out. So all we could get was a cat. So on air and in front of an audience, I was trying to persuade this cat to predict the outcome of World Cup matches. <laughs> it went about as well as you could expect. Cats do not give a toss, do they? No, they, they give a toss about very little, actually. Maybe a exactly. cat wasn't the best choice. It was not interested. <laughs> you got into radio as a very young person. 
when did you get into podcasting? Do you remember what your first podcast was? Well, do you know, weirdly, that the Now Show that I mentioned there was was part of a very early BBC experiment into podcasts. And it may well have even been the BBC's first go at it, certainly for comedy it was. And nobody knew what they were, including the BBC, who just thought, well, we've probably got to be part of as ever, behind the curve. Uh, is that what BBC stands for? Behind, behind curve? Probably. And, and it was a sort of... Well, we're not sure what this is and how it's going to work, uh, but we're going to put this show out as a as a I think it was called a download. I don't even know it was called a podcast back then. So that was the, the first time I'd sort of been involved in it. And all that was really was the, the show was went out on Radio 4. But then we we put extra material in it because that's what you know we thought sure, was the right sure. thing to do. So, but that was obviously done by the BBC. But I, I suppose then every, and I was working in radio quite a lot. So, and on air. So, all of those programs were then made into podcasts with extra bonus material to introduce it, which was sort of the template. But I suppose the first time I, I embraced it myself was just independently, was probably, oh, about four years ago, when myself and a friend were, as ever with these ideas, we're in a pub. And, you know, back when we could go to pubs uh, properly inside and I and we were talking about doing a podcast and I said, I think I'd been listening to or, or certainly aware of those sort of fan podcasts. In fact, yeah, in fact, I'd forgotten. I, I, I presented one. Do you remember the TV show Heroes about superheroes? Save the cheerleader, save the world. Uh, certainly. Yes. Yes. There was a spinoff from that which was the probably one again one of the first sort of discussion of program podcasts that i presented now every tv show has a podcast you're not allowed to do a television show without an official uh, official accompaniment every tv show has one yeah so from that you see from that seed i thought what's the tv show that least deserves its own analysis podcast and the answer to that question is the one show which is, of course, TV's shallowest <laughs> and worst program. Yes, the most disposable form of entertainment ever. Exactly. So deep dive into TV's shallowest program was the, was the, <laughs> the idea. So, so what we did, we, we and I thought, oh, this will sustain about one episode. So we got together, we watched a week's worth of the one show, and then we pulled it apart, you know, for, for, for laps, really, with a guest. And I didn't think it would sustain, but we had such a fun time doing it. And, and I was amazed at the amount there was to talk about to do with pine films about pine martins and weird salmon fishing in Scotland inserts, cutting to, you know, quite a serious discussion on sofas about, about a charity, cut to celebrity guest promoting something they're in you know all of that stuff and we found it was just a really funny piss take out of the, the one show and so we carried on and it snowballed and now is quite a successful podcast you know we've had guests on like jay rayner and jane garvey and fee glover and and stuff and we've done a live version and uh and yeah and well hopefully we're coming back quite soon that show has really become more unwatchable in the zoom years though it's a tough look the, the, everyone who listens to it all of the fans are genuinely people who've never watched the one show in their lives. And that's great. So we take the bullet for them. It's so interesting that that appealed to you is taking apart something and making fun of the various elements because, I mean, in a way, that's an accurate description of both of the podcasts that you got going on right now, Stewart and Cold Case Crime Cuts. You're doing the same thing as you're recontextualizing things that we've all heard before. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, Cold Case Crime Cuts it has been brilliant to work on because I, I was a sort of fan of true crime podcasts from from serial you know which was probably the one everybody's heard of sure and and they all follow the very the very same template with the same earnest presenter 
who's investigated these crimes, you know, of old. So again, it was one of those ideas that just just cropped up in a Zoom meeting with a friend, weirdly. So during lockdown one, where we were talking about old songs we liked, and I was a, I'm a particular fan amongst my friends. It's a running joke of songs that tell a story. Okay, so we were talking about. Uh, if you remember the song Hazard by Richard Marks. Certainly, yes. And uh, with its lines, you know, she used to walk down by the river, I swear I left her safe and sound, all that stuff. If you don't know it, Google it, kids. I swear I left her by the river I swear I left her safe and sound Oh, I need to make it to One of my friends said, ah, oh, you know, that someone should investigate that. And I suddenly went, bing, that's a true crime podcast mistake, <laughs> isn't it? That That is a spoof true crime podcast investigating crimes in songs. And from that moment, it's a simple premise. And I went away and um, found a, a, a new talent writer that I'd been uh, working with on something else and who I knew would get the idea. And together we wrote sort of eight episodes from Copacabana to I Shot the Sheriff, Video Killed the Radio Star, you know, all those big songs with crimes or mysteries in them. <laughs> so, well, it it's it's absolutely a genius. The one thing I, I will notice as you investigate these songs is that the songwriter did not have a very rigorous standard to live up to. In other words, the story didn't have to make sense and there could be a lot more questions than answers in the lyrics. <laughs> I've, I'm looking at every one of these songs in an entirely different way. Like, it never once occurred to me to ask why the criminal was smooth that knocked down Annie, for instance. But you spent a lot of time on that, and I think that's a, an excellent question to ask, John. The criminal must have been completely smoothly hairless. Silky smooth. Although silk would have left behind some fibers, and the criminal did not. And although not every collection of skin fibers contains enough DNA to prove an ID, there were no skin bits at all found anywhere in the apartment or outside the window or on the fire escape. It's hard to prove this, but it's possible that this criminal, in addition to being completely hairless, may have been laminated, or at the very least, shrink-wrapped like an overstuffed suitcase with a broken zip at an airport. I think it's uh, it's 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 doing a service for the public. This isn't it. It's it's mm -hmm. it literally is public service broadcasting because you're right. There's all of these unanswered questions in songs that normally would wash over you, but now we make we're now we're saying take a step back and work out what's going on in Mike Oldfield's Moonlight Shadow, where a man was shot six times by a man on the run. All she saw was the silhouette of a gun. Not a gun, a silhouette of a gun. <laughs> so we investigate with a silhouette expert whether or not a silhouette can kill you in any circumstance and then get the answer. Orinoco Flo is a silhouette specialist, perhaps the silhouette specialist at Chris Cornell University. From its original graphic meaning, the term silhouette has been extended to describe the sight or representation of a person, object, or scene that is backlit and appears dark against the lighter background. Anything that appears this way, for example, a, a figure standing backlit in a doorway may be described as in silhouette. What about the silhouette of a gun? A, a silhouette of a gun is a, an image of a gun. It could be formed by a backlit actual gun, but on its own, the silhouette of a gun isn't harmful. So we're really digging deep into the lyrics and the fact that you're right, they make no sense whatsoever. But we try to, we try to put them together and analyze it uh, and because we never mention that they're songs, these are crimes. And so the whole thing is, is stitched together from all the clues in the lyrics, yeah. It's preposterous. 
do you get a do you get a lot of people i'm sure you do who make suggestions if there's a series two of songs they're dying to hear you break down right we do yeah absolutely we, we're formulating formulating this so if we do come back with a season two we've got no shortage of material thanks to the listeners exactly that yeah people are like well the ballad of bobby joe i mean what happened there and you go aha right then <laughs> um, one of my favorites is do you remember this was a 1986 one hit wonder it was called Camouflage by Stan Ridgway. Yes, Stan Ridgway for the Wall of Voodoo guy, right? That's right. And he and he um, had this this solo hit where he uh, it was about a marine in the in Vietnam uh, whose life is saved by the ghost of another marine. Now, what better subject for a pop song can you possibly have? But of course, there's a mystery there in the jungle that we'd like to know. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the song that always uh, I was dying to hear the full story of, and I'm sure someone's brought this up to you, was written by Rupert Holmes, the Pina Colada guy, but oh, yeah. way back in the 1970s, and it was called Timothy by the Boys. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's a story about some people who get stuck in a cave, if I remember correctly, underground, and one of them ends up eating one of the other ones. Wow. And then it's a tremendous shame, as you can imagine, but he just did what he had to do to survive but i think there's a story to be told there as well if i can just add that to the list of potential series too so i mean cons consider it added i mean you had me you had me at cave frankly not let me before, <laughs> Even anyway, before we got somebody. to cannibalism you were in yeah One of the things that I love so much about this podcast, and of course, I'm the hundredth person to tell you this, is yeah, the hook is these songs, it's funny to treat them like serious cold cases. But what you've done is you've parodied podcasting. And I just wonder if you think that the people who really do make those earnest true crime and other podcasts, our friends at NPR in America, for instance, if they ought to look at this and go, you know what, why do all of our shows sound alike? And do they need to? Should we not all make programs that sound like these? I, you know, I've, I don't know if anybody from NPR has heard these you know i hope this pushes it in their direction uh, you know because i'd love i'd love to i'd love to get some feedback from the people we're you know mocking <laughs> sure yeah 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 because uh, it's very affectionate you know it you're right there's all these tropes in it and i i listen to a hell of a lot of these s town particularly i listen to specifically for research for this so if, if you if you're familiar with s town mm -hmm. yeah a lot of the tropes that we use are you know there's a visit to a library in s-town when someone goes to look up on microfiche <laughs> you know we so i was like i'm having a scene like that that's fantastic so but and it's of course all the adverts you get in podcasts we've parodied uh the live reads that the presenter who's presenting the podcast suddenly suddenly the podcast stops and they go hi it's me from this podcast have you ever thought about scandinavian furniture or whatever it might be Hi, this is Mason Lane from National American Radio's Cold Case Crime Cuts. Sorry to interrupt whatever great NAR podcast you're listening to right now, but I just wanted to let you know about the absolutely awesome range of ergonomic Nordic Executive Office Environment Sitting Support Solutions from Scandin Oracle. An ergonomic Nordic Executive Office Environment Sitting Support Solution doesn't have to be expensive, but when it is, you can really feel the difference in your spine and wallet. So yeah, we've absolutely parodied the tropes of podcasting and, and how they're put sort of strung together and all we spent a lot of time on the sound design to get it right as well and and the actors of course but you know who i should give utter credit to lance and jake uh, naomi and uh, two alexes 
just nailed it. I mean, I made them all go and listen to these to get the tone right. And Lance, who plays Mason Lane, who is our uh, uh, sort of protagonist, who is our lead investigator, Lance just captured that voice and that tone absolutely perfectly, really got it down. So, and the, and the language, you know, the scripts were just mangled language of nonsense and he just breezed through it, you know, and often he'd go, John, is this a typo or a deliberate mangling of language? <laughs> and well, there was both in there. Or am I really looking at something with both my eyes as it says here in the script? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is the voice of John Holmes. We're talking about, among other things, his two ongoing series cold case crime cuts which is available everywhere you get your podcast and also skewered which you can catch up on on bbc sounds you're not in either of these shows john is this a direction you want to go further do you want to have an empire where you're not having to be on the shows anymore you're a behind the scenes guy that's a good question uh, yeah, well do you know what i i've done a lot of um in front of the scenes i suppose over the years and I, but i've also always been a writer so i've always even when presenting stuff myself i've also always written for other people so you know if we go back to the early days of my career I used to write for Mock the Week the show on BBC Two I've written for Graham Norton I used to write Graham Norton's monologues for his uh, show uh, Harry Hill I've done stuff for Armando Inucci you know so there are people I've worked with over the years that I've written for and I used to write uh, Dead Ringers on Radio 4 well now you're just bragging John <laughs> horrible histories on telly you know so I've done a lot of writing alongside anyway so it's just that all of those things I guess coalesced into you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in new talent for a start because I, you know, we've all been there. And I think if you can sort of find new talent and develop it and nurture it, then that's good for everybody concerned. And because, uh, you know, as we get older, you've sort of, you know, you're aware there's a there's an A team coming up behind you, a hungry team right. chomping at your jobs. So you might as well embrace it <laughs> rather than fight them because they're younger and fitter. So you'd lose. <laughs> so I think and I've got a production company, right? So I've, I've had a production company for about 10 years and we've made programs for all kinds of networks and I've always sort of been behind the scenes of that as well because other people sort of run it but I I thought you know what I'd like to sort of throw some more ideas at this myself and so hence you know the skewer and cold case crime cups have sort of developed from that a bit really but I, I sort of like the you know I love producing as well so it sort of all ties in. It's all part of the same thing, I think, in a way. Of course yeah and, and let's uh, spend our, our last remaining uh, couple of minutes here on skewer because I grew up such a fan of Negative Land and their Over the Edge radio show, which I'm sure you're familiar that was on for decades and decades. And it's very similar to what you do, although yours is much more newsworthy, much more from the headlines, much more current. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if this this may be a uh, this is going to be a difficult question for me to ask because I'm not as articulate as I was like, but I believe me, there is a thought in here somewhere. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if, especially young people now with their short attention spans, with being ruined by social media and everything has to fit into a tweet or an Instagram story, I wonder if they have the bandwidth anymore in their brains to sit and watch a 30-minute news program. And if a 15-minute episode of your podcast makes them feel like, all right, now I know everything that's going on in the world and I didn't have to waste all that time. You know what I'm saying? I do. I know exactly what you're saying. And that does mirror feedback we've had from people. Uh, who say, look, I listened to The Skewer and uh, that's my news fix now. In fact, we've even, the BBC even started referring to as as your new news fix, which I thought was quite a good line because it is, what it is, is a concept album made of news. So we take the news and we mix it, we remix it into film scenes, into TV, into pop culture. A very quick example of that. So you might be familiar with the repair shop on BBC One, hugely popular. People take their old things there to be mended by experts, right? 
So we had a sequence of Matt Hancock, the health secretary, taking the NHS to the repair shop to be mended, whereupon they told him it was it was utterly broken and he'd <laughs> broken it completely, you know, and so on and so forth. So it's it's juxtaposing news with with pop culture in very interesting ways, all set to a killer soundtrack. So we've got, you know, really, I mean, I don't think anyone else has ever, ever played Butthole Surfers on Radio 4 before, let's put it that way. <laughs> but, you know, so we've got bands in there and, and DJ mixes and stuff. So we, we just meld it all together in a soundscape. And it totally does tell you what's going on in the world. But, of course, it can move from uh, laugh-out-loud stuff to really poignant, moving moments. And I think it's quite unique that we've sort of fallen into it. A big day for many of us, whether it's six people or two of the fantastic open women. Why are there six people outside who say they're waiting to meet with me? The report has concluded there's no evidence to support claims that Britain is institutionally racist. Don't play that race bullshit card with me! Race war! Race war! We may hear a little more about the commission and its conclusion. You think? Seleni Henry has unanimously approved sweeping changes to Hong Kong's electoral system. And the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, Patel. Home Office expenses, expenses. 77000 Well, it is. It is unique and it is brilliantly produced, and that's why you've won the awards that you have for it. Um, I, I bet people would be blown away, and maybe you'll give me a number here. How many hours do you think goes into each 15 minutes of the skewer? It takes a week. It takes a week to make. So it, uh, the, the current series just came to an end. We did a 12-week run. We're back in June, beginning of June, for the next series. And... It takes, because uh, the previous series were half an hour, uh, and the review was taken that we were going to do a long run, then maybe 15 minutes might work. And I was kind of, I like the half hours because there's more room to breathe and more time to play with sound. But I sort of get that, as you were saying, people's attention spans might want a quicker hit than that. So, and the, 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 the skewer is quite versatile because you can, you can do any length, really. But it does take the same amount of time because it, all, all of the layers, because we put so much in, you know, it's not just the news and a soundtrack. There's also all sorts of and people listen to it over and over again, like an album. So, there's, you know, for sound geeks, there's binaural stereo in there. There's AM, AMSR. Uh, I've put infrasound in there because the infrasound obviously works at a very low frequency that the human ear can't pick up, but you can sort of feel it. So it's all designed for headphones. So if you're wearing headphones and infrasound is going on behind, let's say, a sequence about the Grenfell inquiry, OK, then adding infrasound to that will psychologically make you feel more uncomfortable because that's the job of infrasound. So there's all kinds of things going on. And yes, to answer your question, it takes a long time. I have a brilliant team that I work with, um, a bit like the QILs. So I sort of marshal it all and fiddle with, with audio and bits, but I do have an amazing team. And the show has an open door policy, so anybody can contribute to it. If you have an idea, uh, even if you're not a sound fiddler, you might have an idea of something that you think, well, that would work, I think, for the skewer. Then we'll take ideas and pay for them, and then we'll make them. Um, so there's a there's a brilliant team of skewerists who are, you know, very much on on the wavelength of what's going on in my head. And I can sort of reach out to them and say, look, I've had this idea. Uh, let's start fiddling with this. So, yeah, it's a, it, they're a great bunch. Sounds like it's good to be John Holmes in 2021. Sounds like you're having a blast, sir. Well, I'm, I, I'm doing all this from a tiny cupboard <laughs> that I haven't left for a year, much like everybody. So, sure. you know, uh, it's lockdown as, um, in that sense, I suppose, works work in my favour because I'm very lucky in that the work I do, I can do from a cupboard. So, you know, it's, uh, it's unlike a lot of people who sadly, you know, lost jobs and, and certainly in the comedy industry, which is, you know, mm -hmm. kind of what I'm, I work in most of the time, you know, stand up to, haven't been able to 
get any work. So yeah, I'm sure you miss a live audience. I'm sure everyone does who's used to that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There's, there's nothing like that. I, I'm, there's a festival, a co comedy festival coming in July, which is going ahead. And it's an outdoor weekend. It's the Cambridge Comedy Festival. And this is a scoop for you because I've only just confirmed it. The skewer, we're going to do a live skewer as a, as a satirical DJ set. It's going to be an experiment, but we're going to mix music and news and funny stuff live for a festival crowd. And that sounds like it's going to be amazing. That sounds like a very high level of difficulty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask me again if I enjoyed it afterwards. <laughs> right. All right. Well, enjoy your tight rope walking that day. And I thank you so much for the time. It's really, really great to meet you, John. And I hope when things do open up again, maybe one day we'll be able to shake hands and have a pint. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the pub. All right, man. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.